Good morning. Good to see all of you here. Last week, we started a new series called When You Don't See, the story of Ruth. We're gonna be in Ruth chapter two this morning. If you will open your Bibles there, if you haven't already, and uh, we are looking at this story. This, this story of Ruth is kind of tucked away, buried away in the Old Testament. It's just four short chapters. And the way I like to look at it, it's kind of like WandaVision in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or maybe Rogue One if you're a Star Wars fan. It's not really like the main story, but it's just kind of enough there that we wanna look at it and unpack it today because there is a lot here that uh, some powerful principles for us today, even 3,000 years later. And I'll be honest, when, when Nate gave me this chapter, I was like, man, you gave me the short end of the stick, right? I was like, <laughs> chapter two is like, man, I, as I was kind of cursory reading through it, I'm like, this is not going to be easy. But after uh, a lot of studying and looking into this, there is actually more than I can cover today. So <laughs> I'm going to try to give you uh, just a few things here from Ruth chapter two that I think will be helpful, uh, that hopefully will be challenging to you wherever you are in your faith journey, whether you, maybe you've just started following Jesus or maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. There's a lot here in this chapter that hopefully will be an encouragement to you. But the big idea that I want us to look at today is this, that God is faithful to guide us in the mundane and ordinary events of life. God is faithful to guide us through the ordinary, through the mundane, through the everyday of life. He is faithful and the goodness of God follows after us. So last Sunday, we were introduced in, in chapter one to a widow named Naomi, or uh, known by her preferred name, Mara, right? She was not in a good place, as we saw last week in chapter one. And she had a daughter-in-law named Ruth, who is from a place called Moab. This is uh, actually modern-day Jordan, okay? So uh, think about that in your minds as you think about an Israelite and somebody from Jordan, okay? Uh, probably not the greatest of relationships even today as it was in, in this day back 3,000 years ago. Ruth and Naomi had left Moab and returned to Bethlehem, which we learned last week that Bethlehem was known as the house of Red. Okay, three people remembered. Great job, all right? But Bethlehem was known as the house of bread. And so they arrived, Ruth and Naomi arrived. After 10 years of being gone, they arrived just in time for the harvest, just in time for the barley harvest. And this is where we pick up the story now in Ruth chapter two. And what we're going to do today is we're gonna walk through the chapter together and I'm gonna offer some commentary and some insight as we kind of read through this together. And then I wanna look, I want us to see four reflections from this chapter at the end of, as we walk through it, as, as we look at it and as we read it, four reflections that I want us to, to see today before we leave today. So let's go ahead and look at verse number one of Ruth chapter two. Uh, Diana did a great job just reading this a moment ago, but it says this in, in verse number one. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. And as we saw last week, there in this time, in this day, names meant something. Names always had a meaning. And Boaz's name means in him is strength. In him is 
strength. And so that's who this person was. Now I did a little bit of, this is fascinating for me. If you're not a history person, I apologize, but I really kind of geeked out on the history of who is this guy, Boaz? Who is this, this man that we're introduced to here in Ruth chapter two? Now he's from Elimelech's family. And if you look at a number of the different genealogies in scripture, maybe you're like me and you've often wondered, what are those there for? Uh, what is the point of all of that? Uh, but if you look at some of those genealogies, you'll find, you'll come across that Boaz's grandfather, Nishan, was actually the person, the leader of the tribe of Judah that led them out of Egypt with Moses. So Moses appointed 12 people, 12 leaders of each tribe to help him lead the people of Israel out of Egypt and to the promised land. And Boaz's grandfather was that person. He was the man uh, over the tribe of Judah, uh, 76,000 uh, men that he led essentially out of, the Egypt, out of Egypt during the Exodus. And so uh, Nishan watched as God parted the Red Sea. Boaz's grandfather saw the Red Sea open and the people walk across on dry land. He saw God provide for them in the wilderness as they traveled, as they received the manna from heaven, as they saw quail arrive from God. Nishan was the one who saw all of these things happen and take place. He was Boaz's grandfather. And his father, Salma or Solomon, was most likely a war hero. As Israel now enters the promised land, as they see the Jordan River parted, and as they walk across the Jordan River into the promised land, Boaz's father most likely was somebody who was involved in the battle. He was involved in the conquest of the land of Canaan. He watched as the walls of Jericho fell down. And not only that, here's what's fascinating, and I love this part of the story. We're not gonna spend a lot of time here, but Boaz's father married a woman named Rahab. And many of you might know Rahab. She's most well known for her sinful lifestyle before she came to believe in Yahweh and Jehovah. But she is a woman of great faith. That's Boaz's mother. So here we see in, in, in verse number one, Boaz was a prominent man of noble character. Now, I'm speculating a little bit here, but here's what I think is probably likely in the case of Boaz. He was a well-known person. He was a prominent man. He was of nobility. He had noble character. I'm surmising here that maybe he was a government official. Maybe he was the mayor of Bethlehem. Maybe he was somebody who was in charge of the happenings that were there in the house of bread. But regardless of, of who he was and what he did, he was someone that you would want to know. He's someone that you would want to have a good relationship with. He's someone that you would want to be on his good side, right? Here's a man of prominent stature, of noble character. Uh, his name in him is strength. This is a man of wealth, of strength, of power. This is who Boaz is. Now let's keep reading in verses two and three here. We see in verses two and three, Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor. Naomi answered her, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who is from Elimelech's family. Now, what I wanna do here is I want us to go back to uh, uh, the, the, the 
I, I was going to say the Old Testament. We're in the Old Testament. I want us to go back to the Torah uh, where, where Moses, we see, institutes this law. In, in Leviticus chapter 23, uh, this is kind of interesting to the, to the details of the story. As Ruth is going out into the fields, this was actually something that God intended for his people to do. If we look at Leviticus chapter 23, it says this, uh, when you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap all the way to the edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. I am the Lord your God. And then in Deuteronomy 24, he actually repeats this same principle, this same command, and he gives a little bit more context to it. He says this in Deuteronomy 24. When you reap the harvest in your field and you forget a sheaf in the field, do not go back to get it. It is to be left for the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all of the work of your hands. So here we see hundreds of years before, God had instituted something that Ruth benefited from personally. And you know, the Israelites, they hadn't even conquered Canaan. They had not even entered the promised land. They probably thought, God, why are you telling us this? This is kind of meaningless. This is kind of like, we don't understand the purpose of this as God is sharing with them this principle of not gathering all the way and, and, and gathering up all of the harvest. But God in his foresight commanded the people of Israel to leave the leftovers for those most in need. Before they ever even got to the promised land, God was already, here's, what's, here's what I love about this. God was already preparing the way for Ruth long before she ever was around. Isn't that what God does for us? God was preparing a principle that Ruth benefited from right here in this story many years prior. So Ruth gets up now that morning and she asks her mother-in-law, do you think this is a good idea? <laughs> do you think this is something that I should do? And Naomi obviously tells her, yes, you, you know, go, go to the field. And so Ruth gets up and she joins this procession, most likely of widows and orphans and immigrants as she begins to walk out of the town of Bethlehem into the fields that morning, no doubt surrounded by other people who are like her, other people who are in need, other people who are less fortunate than others. And so she joins this procession and, and she begins to try to figure out where she's gonna go that day and where she's going to gather the grain. And verse number three says, she happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. It just so happened. Now I want you to do me a favor. Look at the person next to you and say, it just so happens. It just so happens, right? It's, it's like this, this couple, of, couple of words, just a simple phrase in the Bible. Uh, but what we don't see here is what went through what was that process like for her? What went through Ruth's mind? What was it like for her as she began to make her way out into the fields? Uh, where was she gonna end up? The Bible just says, it just so happened that uh, she ended up in Boaz's field. But what was that like? Were there long lines maybe in the other fields? How many of you love long lines like I do? You just love the longest line in the grocery store, okay? I thought you guys were like me. Uh, you just love those. Uh, maybe she was refused entry to someone else's field. Maybe someone said, oh, I know who you are. You're that Moabite. I don't want you in my field. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I'm just surmising, I'm speculating here. I don't know what it was. But she was, she was uh, maybe she was, uh, um, she walked into that job fair that day with a, with a really poor looking resume. 
You guys ever been there? You just, you're trying to find a job, but it's like, man, you're just starting out. You don't got a lot of experience. Maybe you're fresh out of college or it's just not, it, you just not, haven't had a really great job experience and you walk in just really confident or maybe not so confident and you're just like, I just need someone to give me a job. And, and then maybe that's how Ruth felt that day. She walks in uh, to this job fair with a poor resume. She's, she's a, a, in a new place. She doesn't know anyone. She's got no connections and a sob story right? That's it. And it just so happens that she finds Boaz's field. I remember when Leah and I first came to Washington, we moved up here from California. Um, we were crazy. We were young. Uh, we, were, we were probably a little dumb, but we moved up here with no jobs. Neither of us had a job, but we knew that God wanted us to be here. So we just moved up here and said, God, if, you're, if you want us to be here, you're gonna, get, you're gonna have to get us a job. And so uh, thankfully, Leah had a background in accounting. She had a degree in accounting. And so she found a job right away. Me, on the other hand, unfortunately, I had worked in my home church, I had gone to Bible college, and I had worked at another church. So um, I didn't even know where to start. <laughs> if I'm not gonna work at a church, I don't know where, I, I don't know what I'm good at. I don't know what I do. Uh, yeah, so I, uh, I've worked in a church. I have a Bible college degree. Do you wanna hire me? It's kind of how I felt, I prob probably a little bit how Ruth felt uh, this morning. And so thankfully, a Christian businessman business took pity on me, and uh, he gave me a chance. He gave me a job, and uh, I'm grateful for that, to, to have that opportunity. But have you ever looked back at, at events in your life and recognized the hand of God over those details? God knew exactly what you needed and when you needed it. God knew exactly who you needed and when you needed them. Maybe it was bringing you and your spouse together. Just the right moment, just the right time, just the right place, you guys met and the rest is history. Maybe it was God orchestrating events in your life that led to your conversion or the conversion of your parents or your grandparents. Whatever those events were, God orchestrated those events to take place to happen so that you would be here today, so that you would be a follower of Jesus today. Maybe it's the career path that you're pursuing or the church family that you're a part of, but it just so happened that you were in the right place at the right time. And it's crazy to me how God uses these ordinary events and these ordinary circumstances in our life to guide us and to shape us to who, and to who we are today. About two years ago, um, my family was renting a house here in Renton, and um, the deal was we could get discounted rent for managing an Airbnb on site. So we lived in the top floor of this house and managed an Airbnb in the bottom floor. It was interesting to say the least, okay? Uh, we only had to call the cops one time in the year that we lived there, okay? But uh, lots of great stories, but one story that stands out to me in particular while we were there during the year that we were in this, in this home there was a, a guy named Eric who uh, reached out to our, on Airbnb, decided to rent our Airbnb for the weekend. And normally we wouldn't usually interact with a lot of the guests. That was kind of like, you know, not something that we were really excited about, nor were they usually. And so, uh, but, but we just so happened to uh, actually interact in the driveway. I just happened to be walking outside as he was pulling up. And uh, so we greeted each other and, and said a few things. And then he went inside. Well, we come to find out later that evening, he reached out to my wife through the app and said, 
hey, do you guys happen to be Christians? He had seen some stuff in the home, some decorations, or I don't even know what it was necessarily that he saw, but he saw something that tipped him off to the idea that we were, that we were Christians. And so he reached out and we said, yeah, we, we are. And, and he said, I'm, I'm looking at moving to the area. I'm up here from Atlanta. I'm just here to kind of scope out the, the area. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious, would, would it be okay if I went to your church tomorrow? This happened to be on a Saturday night. We said, of course, yeah, we'd love to have you come. And so we invited him to come. Well, it just so happened that he came the next morning. And it just so happened that I was the one giving the announcements and, and, and hosting the service that day. And so he's sitting in the, in the auditorium here uh, watching. And, and then he sees my name flash across the screen. And he's like, wait, what? Uh, they're the same people that I'm staying in the Airbnb. So it just so happened that he had come to stay in our house that weekend and, and we got coffee afterwards and just swapped stories. And it just so happened that Eric and his wife, Mary Claire, moved to Renton to open the Chick-fil-A in downtown Renton a year later. Just so happened, it just so happened that he stayed in my house for the weekend. And now they're here and a part of our church and they're serving every week in kids ministry and in greeting and they're a part of a community group. It just so happened that God put those pieces together because that's what God does. He works in the ordinary and the mundane uh, events of our life. And it just so happened that Ruth ended up in the field of Boaz. Let's look at verse number four. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. And Boaz asked his servant who was in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? The servant answered, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. So here we see Boaz, uh, after his morning coffee meetings, uh, comes back to the business from Bethlehem. He, he, he comes to the field and he, and he comes uh, to his, his manager, uh, his, his steward of those who were working in the field, and he sees someone he doesn't recognize. And so he asks the manager who she is. The servant here, the manager, gives a glowing review of this new gal, the first day on the job. Uh, she's just, she's been working her heart out. She's been here since sunup. She's just take a short little water break and she's back in the field working. Man, this, this girl is just, she's a hard worker. She's basically been here all day. And it just so happened that people were watching Ruth. They were watching to see what kind of a person she was, what kind of a worker she was. She didn't know it, but they were watching her. And they noticed her hard work and her dedication and how she responded to adversity. It's, it seems to me that most people in town already knew, right? They already knew who she was. This is the Moabite woman. This is the person that came back with Naomi. And so they were probably watching to see, what is this? Why is she here? What is she after? What does she want? Right? They're, they're watching to see how Ruth is going to respond in a time of adversity. And she, she wasn't content. Ruth wasn't content to let her bad situation define her. She wasn't content to let the circumstances that happened in her life derail what she was going to do. She continued to do what she knew she needed to do. She knew that her mother-in-law was depending on her. She didn't know what tomorrow was going to hold, but she knew that today she needed to go to work. 
Today, she needed to go to the field. And too often, I think, especially for people like me, we like to think ahead and we like to plan for the future. We like to be like three months out, okay? Anybody like you, like me out there? We just love to do those kinds of things, but we can forget about what we need to do today. We can forget about what God has for us today. We're so focused on what's the future going to be like and what's the future going to hold and what's God going to do in the future that we forget about and we forget to look for what God is trying to do today in our lives, in the field, right now, today. And Jesus actually talked about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Jesus says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says, don't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. Focus on what I'm trying to teach you, what I'm trying to do today. Let's keep reading verses eight through 18 here. Let's read and see what what happens here. Now we begin to see Boaz and Ruth interact. Now they meet each other for the very first time. Verse number eight, then Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, Go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. Verse 10, she fell face down, bowed to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done. And may you receive a full uh, reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Verse 13, Ruth says, my Lord, I have found favor with you for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I am not like one of your female servants. I'm not even like one of your servants. Verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some of the stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered and it was about 26 quarts of barley. It's a lot. I don't even know how much that is, but it's a lot. (laughs) In verse 18, she picked up the grain and went into the town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to her. Here we see Ruth finds favor in the eyes of Boaz. And as she meets this man and experiences his compassion, his grace, his generosity, notice what he gave her in these verses. I want us to just really quickly look back and see a couple of things that that Boaz gave to Ruth. In verse number eight, he says to her, stay close to my female servants. This was a, this was a, a, a job that was kind of meant to be alone, right? You, you, or maybe you, you, you had one or two other people, but here Ruth is in a new place. She's in a new land She doesn't have any friends. She doesn't know who to talk to. Everybody's, she probably thinks everybody's looking down on her for the fact that she's a Moabite, 
right? And here Boaz tells her, stay close to my female servants. Here we see that he wants her to have community. He wants her to have other people around her so that she's not left alone, so she's not taken advantage of by somebody else. Boaz wants her to have community. In verse number nine, she received protection and refreshment. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? The protection that Boaz gave her and also refreshment. When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. In verse number 12, we see that he blessed her in, this, in these verses and he says, may the Lord reward you for what you have done. May you receive a full reward. We see a reward and refuge that Boaz is encouraging her and blessing her with. You have received a reward and a refuge here. God reward, uh, God has rewarded your faith and stepping out and doing what it was that you knew you needed to do. In verse 13, uh, he, he, he encourages her with comfort and encouragement. Uh, uh, Ruth uh, replies back to him, I have found favor with you and you have comforted and encouraged me. Can you imagine Ruth in that moment probably thinking, man, I've, I've made the right decision. It just so happened that I ended up here, but I'm so glad I did because this man has encouraged and comforted me during this time of adversity. In verse number 14, he gives her a seat at the table and he satisfies her hunger. It's a long day, it's a hot day. She's been out there since early morning. And, and this wasn't something that I, I don't think would normally happen. Normally the ruler of the field wouldn't invite these people to come and have lunch with him, right? This is not a normal occurrence, but he did for Ruth. He invited her to have a seat at the table and to satisfy her hunger. In verse 17, uh, we see that he gave her an abundance of harvest. So Ruth gathered grain. She beat out 26 quarts. He, in, he intentionally was generous with Ruth. Here we see Ruth finds favor with this man, Boaz. Why did Ruth receive all of this? Well, it just so happened. It just so happened that she was in the field of Boaz. Look at the person next to you and say, it just so happens. It just so happens. That's what God does. And in verses 19 through 23, as we finish out this chapter, uh, here's what the, these verses say. In verse 19, her mother-in-law said to her, where did you gather barley today? And where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with and said, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, the man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. So Ruth the Moabite has said, he also told me, stay with my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, my daughter, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvests were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. So Naomi introduces Ruth to the fact that Boaz happens to be a family relative. And in fact, not just any relative, but a relative who is in position to provide for both of them. More on that next week. You'll have to come back, all right? But one, one thing that I wanna point out here, one thing that I wanna point out, do you think that Naomi knew who Boaz was before Ruth ever left to go to the field? Do you think that she knew Elimelech's family? Maybe she had probably met them before. She probably knew who this guy was and that he was here and that he was a man of prominence and a man of nobility. 
No doubt she knew that he was the man, he was the guy that she needed to go and find. Do you think she could have probably pointed Ruth in Boaz's direction? Hey, when you go out of the city, turn right at the sign, then you're gonna go left here, and I want you to go into this gate. She probably could have done that, but she didn't. She let God orchestrate the events in the life of Ruth. She didn't interfere with what God was going to do. She had faith and she was content to see what might just happen. She didn't try to play the Holy Spirit in the life of Ruth. She just trusted that God was going to lead her to where she needed to be. So as we wrap up today, I've got four reflections that I want us to see from this chapter in Ruth. Where is God in this chapter? Where is God? In this story, we don't clearly see him in this story. We don't clearly see the hand of God. It's not like uh, God wasn't active during this time, he was. It's not like God wasn't performing miracles because he was. A few generations earlier, we already saw in, in Nishan's life, Boaz's grandfather, the 10 plagues rained down on Egypt. He delivered the Israelites through the Red Sea, he parted the water, he brought them through the wilderness, he provided their every need. He won victories in the promised land in miraculous ways. And even if you look at the stories in the book of Judges, which is where Ruth is kind of lifted out of this book of Judges, we see an angel comes to Gideon. We see an angel comes to the parents of Samson. We see the spirit of the Lord descends upon Jephthah and God threw Sisera's army into a panic before the armies of Barak and Deborah. We see God in, in, in a lot of miraculous ways, but where is God in this story? Here's the second reflection that I want us to see this morning. God often moves and speaks to us in simple steps, not in miraculous moments. God often moves and speaks to us in our lives in simple steps. It just so happens that we go out and we find the right place at the right time with the right people. You see, God is in this story. He's in the simple steps of obedience on the part of Ruth. He's in the fact that she didn't experience any miracles. Ruth wasn't visited by an angel to tell her where to go and find food. Ruth didn't wake up that morning and find that overnight God had filled their pantry with food. God could have done that. God could have miraculously provided for Ruth and Naomi. But instead, she got up early. She walked out to the fields and she began working hard. She did what she knew to do. She took the next step in her life, the next step in her journey. It wasn't a miracle. It was just a simple step in following God. She wasn't sure how it was gonna play out, but she took that step forward. Now, put yourself in Ruth's shoes for a minute. Here was a young widow. She had watched her husband die. She was alone, living with her mother-in-law in a foreign country. She didn't have any friends. She probably didn't know where her next meal was going to come from. How was she going to overcome all this Adversity. How is she going to get through this? 
God, where are you? I thought you were this miracle worker. God, where are you? But instead, she took a step. And instead of waiting for a miraculous moment to happen in her life, she took a step. And I truly believe and have seen this play out in my own life. I have seen how God blesses acts of faith in my life, in my family's life, in my friend's life, as we step out into those moments, that's where God meets us. He meets us in those moments of faith. As we take simple steps, he meets us there. He guides us in the mundane and ordinary events of our lives. The third reflection that I want us to see here as we look at this story, and what's interesting about this story is that it was written long after the story was over. It was written as a, as a way to look back on the history. And God is usually more visible in our rear view mirror than in our windshield. God is usually more visible to us as we look back on what he has done instead of looking forward into the future. The future is uncertain. How many of you can tell me what's gonna happen tomorrow? How many of you can tell me what's gonna happen next year or 10 years from now in your life? None of us can. We don't know what the future holds, but here's what I do know, that we can see God in our rearview mirror. We can see the hand of God in the events of our life that have already happened, and that should encourage us and comfort us and challenge us to know that God is already in the future, that he is already preparing for us what he wants us to do. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling to see God's presence in your life today. Maybe you're dealing with adversity. Maybe you're dealing with loss. Maybe you're going through a tough time. Things have not been easy. Things have been difficult. But as you look back over your life, you see and remind yourself of those just so happens moments. It just so happened that God was working. He wants to do the same for you today. And so I wanna encourage you to look for God. He's there in your life right now. To look for God around the dinner table. To look for God around the conference table. To look for God around the coffee table or the classroom table and remind yourself of how God has orchestrated the events of your life right up to where you are right now. He has brought you to where you are today and it, it's not always easy to look back. But the point in looking back is to see what God has done, to see the ordinary circumstances that God used in your life to bring you to where you are today. You know, I have often wondered how different my life would be if my dad hadn't gotten stationed in Fairbanks, Alaska in the army. How different would my life be if my dad hadn't done two tours of duty in Fairbanks and decided to stay there and build a home and, start a, and, 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 and raise his family in Fairbanks. And it was there during his second tour that he just so happened to meet a pastor and it just so happened that this pastor loved hunting and fishing like my dad did. And it just so happened that they started a relationship and a friendship. And it just so happened that that pastor led my dad to Jesus. And it just so happened that we started going to a church 
And it just so happened that God brought another family to that church right around the time that I was in first grade. And it just so happened that that family was my wife's family. And it just so happened that we grew up together. And it just so happened that God brought us together and we got married. It just so happens that God orchestrates the everyday simple steps, the mundane, the ordinary events in our life for the purposes that he has for us. God works in simple steps in the ordinary, mundane, everyday life. So where is God in this story? God is also in this story in the form of Boaz. As Boaz showers Ruth with overwhelming grace, not expecting anything in return, Boaz gives. He's generous. He's gracious. He gives favor. He sees the poor and the needy and the broken and the enemy. And that's how God sees us. God sees us poor and broken and needy and an enemy. And he showers on us his love and his mercy and his grace. And all we have to do is exercise faith to believe that God wants a relationship with us. Romans chapter five reminds us of this truth. In verse number eight, Romans five says, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if, notice this, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life? Ruth was the enemy. Ruth was a Moabite. She didn't deserve anything that Boaz gave her. The same is true of us. We were enemies of God. We didn't deserve his grace and his compassion and his love, but he gave it anyway. God so loved the world that he gave his only son and you have an opportunity today. Maybe you've never believed in Jesus. Maybe you've never come to God in faith and asked God to give you grace and salvation and to take away the punishment of your sin. I wanna encourage you to consider making that decision right now, today. Would you join me in prayer right now? As we pray, I wanna encourage you, if you've never believed in Jesus, if you've never accepted his gift of salvation, I'm gonna encourage you to exercise faith right now to believe that God loves you, that he wants to have a relationship with you, that he wants to give you his grace. I want you to cry out to God right now where you are in the silence of this moment, just between you and the Lord. If you've never made that decision, I wanna encourage you right now in this moment to talk with God. He's listening. He wants to hear. He wants to save God, I pray for those who might be here in this room or watching online who have never made the decision to follow you, to believe in your salvation. God, I pray that right now in this moment, 
they would consider to make that choice, to make that decision, to believe in what you have done for their salvation. You proved your love by sending your son. I pray that they would accept what Jesus has done on the cross as the full and final payment for their sin. God, I pray for those in this room right now or watching online who may have forgotten how you are working in our lives. You work, you move, you speak, you show up in the simple steps of our everyday life. God, help us to see. Help us to, when we need to, take a moment and look in the rearview mirror so that we can see your hand moving in our lives. And help us to trust that you will continue to do so tomorrow and every day in our future. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing and worship?